take your Bibles out, turn to John 21, and uh, we kind of use our passports. All of our kids will be getting passports this morning uh, that they have to get the missionaries to stamp each night, and uh, that kind of blackmails mom and dad to come back to church on Monday night and Tuesday night so their kids can get their passports stamped, and you never know. You never know. We might have some future missionaries within the ranks of our kiddos. You know, they come from somewhere. There's somebody that's willing to be obedient to the will of God and go where God's called them to. John chapter 21, if you're there, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm going to pick up in verse number one, uh, read down through about verse number seven, and then we'll pray and let you be seated. John chapter number 21, verse number one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. Here's the account about what's about to happen. There were... There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went and they entered a ship immediately and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for an exciting day, uh, Lord, to be in our church. Lord, thank you for allowing us to get back to Sunday school. I'm sure there were times, Lord, in the last year we weren't sure if we get to do that and even get to do it this soon. Thank you for allowing us to do that. I pray you keep us safe as we seek to do your will in that. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today and focus in on missions. Thank you, Lord, for the over 160 missionaries that uh, are serving around the world or that our church gets to participate in already, and we're thankful for the new ones that we get to partner with, Lord, in this great work. Now, I pray you challenge the heart of your people today about this thing of missions. I pray you'd burden our heart, Lord, to not just send missionaries, but to be a missionary in the area and the field you've called us to. Give us wisdom. I pray you give us liberty. Lord, help me to say just what you'd have us to. And, and Lord, we'll thank you for that. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this is definitely one of my favorite times of the year uh, because missions conference is a time where we get to be reminded of our mission. And I don't know about you, but I forget very easily. Particularly over the last 18 months, I have learned new levels of forgetfulness over the past 18 months and the difficulty of all we've gone through. And I'm sure turning 40 in the midst of a pandemic has not helped at all on being forgetful and becoming more and more forgetful. But Missions Conference gives us a time to recalibrate. We come to church on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we're going to hear preaching and teaching. And this year, we're going to hear preaching directly from the missionaries themselves. And we're going to have an opportunity for our hearts to be challenged and to be reminded about our mission. Now, you think about what our mission is this morning. It's really very simple. If we boil it all down, we go to Matthew chapter number five, we boil it down. He says, you're salt, and he says, you're light. And you think about what salt and light are. If you want to boil it down on a, a lower level where I think at, it's simply influence. 
The mission of what God has called us to do in leaving us the church here on planet earth is to simply be that influence to influence men and women to come to know Christ and to continue to influence them in the growth of the word of God in their lives and in their homes. Folks, can I tell you this morning, if there was ever a time that the church needed to be about the job of influences right now, there's ever a time in the world where the world was desperately needing that good influence from the church. And by the way, the church is the only one that can give them the influence to bring about the change that we need. You know, listen, we can go and we can vote. I'm thankful for the privilege to be able to do that. All right, we can put people up in Washington. We can call our congressman. By the way, you need to call your congressman this week about that Equality Act, all right? Get on the phone and make a phone call about that. Or we're going to be jeopardized what we're doing just right here today before too terribly long. Now, folks, the world, what the world needs is the influence from the church, the influence of the salt and light that we're called to be. And a lot of the problems that we're having in the world today is because we're not doing our job to influence the world. I was thinking about a story this morning about Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty. My daughter likes the Peanuts comics. And uh, they were on their way home from the first day of school, and Peppermint Patty looked over at Chuck, as she called him. And she said, I can't believe it. I got sent to the office on the first day of school, and it's all your fault. And you know, Charlie Brown, he's always getting blamed for everything. I feel sorry for him, but sometimes I know what he feels like, don't you? You know, Brother Nate, you know what it's like to be a pastor. Feels like everything's your fault, you know, this whole pandemic and all of that. And she says, look, I get sent to the principal's office on the first day of school, and it's all your fault, Chuck. And he's sitting there just trying to figure out how on earth it was his fault that she got sent to the office. And he says, well, why is that my fault? And she says, well, you're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? And he says, well, of course I am. She says, well, you should have been a better influence on me. And I wouldn't have gotten in trouble on the first day of school. Now, folks, I, I know we can't blame our problems on everyone else, but I'll tell you, our world's in a lot of trouble today. Our country's in a lot of trouble. Our families are in a lot of trouble. Our churches are in a lot of trouble. And a lot of it is our fault. Do you know why? Because we haven't been that influence that we should have been. God left us here to be salt he left us here to be light. He left us to influence the world, but the roles have reversed. Rather than being the influential, the church has become the influenced. Rather than us go outside of these walls to influence the world, we've allowed the world to come inside of these walls to influence us. We've become more like the world than the world has become more like us. Why? Because we haven't done our job. We're the salt and we're the light. And we think that we can go to a ballot box and vote in change when the truth of the matter is the only change that America is going to have that's lasting is a change that begins in the heart, and that begins with the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you change, remember? That's how the change was brought about in our life. We were introduced to that same change through Jesus Christ. I fear this morning that the modern church has become nothing less than baskets and lighted bushels. He says, you take the light, look, you don't hide it under the bushel. They had great big bushel baskets back during the day, and they would flip the basket over, and they would put that lamp up on top, or that candle up on top of the basket, kind of like a lampstand. And the Bible says it gives light to all that are in the room. It says you put the light on top of the bushel, you don't put it under the bushel. Why? Because when you put it under the bushel, the only thing that's getting light is what's on the inside of that basket. And I fear this morning the modern church has become nothing less than lighted bushels. That's all we are. The light's glowing on the inside, and boy, I'm thankful to be here. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to it. I could probably preach till 1230 today, but I'm going to try not to, okay? These missionaries are hungry. I'm going to take them out to eat here in just a few minutes. So I'm not going to keep you any longer today than we need to, but I enjoy being in here. 
I enjoy the light that's shining in here. But we're not going to change the world shining in here, being a lighted bushel. We're going to have to flip the basket over, put the light on top of the basket so that it can shine to all of the world. You know what that is? It's influence. That's who God's called us to be. And Missions Conference gives us the opportunity to see how we can influence the world from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You think about that. Now, folks, look, by the grace of God, I hope all of you don't go to the mission field. I don't want to hurt y'all's feelings, but I need some members here, okay? I lose some of the best members to the mission field, you know? I remember when the Sullivans came through our church in Monroe, Louisiana. I got to know them, spent some time with them. And I told my wife, I wish they weren't going to the mission field. I'd hire them right here to be our co-pastor here at Bayou Baptist Church. I mean, some of my favorite friends leave and go off to the mission field. Look, you can be a missionary right here, all right? You can be a missionary from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Now, if God calls you to go, I want you to go, all right? Some of you, I'd rather not, all right? Some of you, go ahead. But some of you, I'd rather stay here if possible, okay? Don't ask me who it is after the service. I'm not going to tell you. I want you to think this morning about throwing a pebble in a pond. Look, we grew up here in the south. I'm a south Mississippi boy. Had two ponds on our property. You go out there and you throw a rock in the pond. And no matter how small that rock is, you throw it in, watch what happens. Ripples go out, don't they? Some of you, I think, grew up in the city. You're looking at me like, What? You're going to have to look, go find you a mud puddle on the way home, pull over to the side of the road, throw a rock in it. No matter how small or how great the rock is, you throw in there, influence goes out from there. Well, folks, by the grace of God, this week we're going to get to expand our influence beyond Hattiesburg. I'm thankful over 160 missionaries are supported out of our church. We get to throw a lot of rocks in the water and influence the world, but I pray this week we get to throw some more rocks in the water. And those ripples of influence go out, but watch this. God works through people. God works through you and I. Look, they like to eat on the mission field. They have to pay for gas on the mission field, which is a lot more expensive than it is here in America. Now, we're working to catch up with them on gas prices, evidently. I've noticed the signs out there lately, but they have to live there. They've got to go there, so we've got to do our part. That means we've got to allow God this week to stir our hearts for missions. We've got to allow God to remind us of what our mission is. And that's exactly what I want to preach on this morning, being reminded of our mission. John chapter 21, we're about to see Peter get reminded of his mission. Now, what does the word remind mean? Let me read you the definition. To bring something, especially a commitment, to the attention. Now, folks, I know we all believe in missions. What kind of a Grinch would you be this morning? Not to believe or at least agree with missions. But oftentimes, missions goes to the back of our mind, doesn't it? It's not the forefront of our mind. And yet, this is why we're here. We're given a mission. And this morning, I want God to help us be reminded for the mission of what God's called us to do. Now, let's look back to this passage, if we could, and going to jump right in. I'm not preaching tonight, so I've got to get everything out of the way that I want to say today, or I'm not going to sleep well tonight, okay? John 21, look down to verse number 1. This is after the resurrection of Christ. Christ has already appeared to his disciples. Now, here's something you need to understand for this passage to really fall into context. Uh, When he was risen from the grave, the angel told them, he shall go before thee into Galilee. All right? Let's not miss that. Oftentimes, I think we read this passage, and it feels like Peter's quitting on the ministry. And look, I guess he could have, but I honestly believe that he was in Tiberias, by the Sea of Tiberias, which is in Galilee, because the risen Christ told him, I'll meet you there. And so at some point after the resurrection, they make their way to Galilee, about 75 miles away, and they're waiting on Christ because he said, I will go before you. I'm going to meet you there in Galilee. 
Here's the way I figure it. I read, I read after J. Vernon McGee yesterday, and me and him are on the same wavelength. I'm just not as deep as he is. He says, you know, I kind of figure that they're sitting there walking up and down the shoreline waiting on Christ to appear because he literally appeared out of nowhere. You know, that's how, that's how Christ did. You know, if you read your Bible, you'll see he did that. And they're waiting on him, and finally, Peter gets impatient. Can't you see Peter getting impatient? That's why I relate to Peter so well. I'll promise you Peter got, would get frustrated in 2021 with you people that go slow in the fast lane. I'll promise you. I'll bet you Peter would even honk his horn from time to time of you people that don't know how to go fast in the fast lane. There's a reason I'm not going to get off on that, but let's just do better on that if we could. And so Peter says, I go fishing. Been waiting, waiting. He said he'd meet us in Galilee. Been waiting. I go fishing. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with fishing. I kind of see a little bit of redneck in Peter. I mean, how often do we say that? Middle of our work day, you know, I want to go fishing. You know, sitting there behind the desk, I think I want to go fishing. So Peter says, let's go fishing. The other disciples say, let's go with them. They go out. The Bible says, verse number three, they caught nothing. Now they fished all night. Boy, that's a miserable night, isn't it? When you don't catch anything, when you're out trot lining. Verse four, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Watch this. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now, this is very important. I want you to notice they had gotten so preoccupied with what they were doing, they didn't realize that the reason they were there was standing right on the shore, right? Now, why were they there? Why were they in Galilee? They were there to meet the risen Christ. He says, I go before you into Galilee, and the Sea of Tiberias is also the Sea of Galilee, okay? And so they were there to meet with the risen Christ, and yet, watch, they got so preoccupied waiting on him with other things that they, look at verse 4, they knew not that it was Jesus. Now, the first thing I want you to see this morning, before we can be reminded of our mission, the first thing Peter had to recognize was this, the distraction of his focus, okay? Notice the distraction of his focus. He had gotten busy fishing, all right? Nothing wrong with fishing. I don't think Peter was in the wrong here, all right? I think they were just filling in time. But he got so busy with other things, he was distracted from recognizing that the reason that he was there was standing right on the shore. Here's how we're going to put it this morning. Peter's busyness was distracting him from his business, all right? Peter's busyness was distracting him from his business. Now, there's a difference, by the way, in busyness and business. There's a big difference. Look, I can be busy throughout the course of a day and still not get any of my business done. Anybody else guilty like that? Good night. I have a to-do list every day of the week. I have a to-do list at work. I have a to-do list at home. I've learned to live by list. And isn't it fun checking things off when you get them off your list? Feels good, don't it? Kind of releases that chemical in your brain that makes you feel like you're a successful human, at least for that day. I'll go home and look at my to-do list and things are not done. I'm like, what did I do all day? Well, I was busy all day. Well, there's a difference in busyness and business. Now, folks, I fear this morning that in the church, we have a lot of busyness, but oftentimes our busyness distracts us from our business. What is our business? The will of God. Why was Peter in Galilee? Peter was in Galilee to meet with the risen Christ. He says, I go before you. I'm going to meet you there. That's why he was there. But he got busy doing other things, and he knew not that it was Jesus. Do you know there's a, lot, there's a difference this morning in a lot going on and a lot getting done? There's a difference in a lot going on and a lot getting done. Ask my wife. She'll tell you all about that. I learned that from the United States government. They always have a lot going on, but not a lot getting done. 
Do you know our founding fathers never intended for them to stay up there all the time? But they just made themselves jobs, and we pay them to do that. Why do we do that? I read a statistic this week from 2017 by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'll show you the graph up here this morning if we could. Here we go. And it shows what the average day is used for in the United States of America over the course of a day and over the course of a week. And you see those bars there on the top, personal care, including sleep, eating and drinking, household activities, purchasing goods and services. And you go all the way down. Fourth from the bottom is organizational, civic, and religious activities. And you see how much little time we actually devote to the reason that we are here. Why? Because we're just like Peter. We get easily distracted away from our focus. We get distracted by life. And here's what people say. Well, you don't understand. The circumstances are different. Folks, can I tell you something? The truth of the matter is everybody's always been busy. From the dawn of time, Adam and Eve were given a job by God. They had responsibilities. They had things they had to take care of. But they also had a requirement from God of what he desired they do. What did he say? He says, I want you to dress and keep this garden. And in spite of the circumstances of life, God still was requiring them to do what he left them there to do. Now, folks, in spite of the fact we live in a weird world right now, it's as weird as I've ever seen it. And getting weirder. In spite of the weirdness of our circumstances, can I tell you, the mission for which our Savior left us here remains. But oftentimes our mission, listen, gets neglected. Why? Because we get distracted from our focus by getting busy doing other things. I'll give you a prime example. Luke chapter number 10, I'm not going to turn there, but you remember the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is coming over. I mean, can you imagine how clean you would clean your house if Jesus was coming over? Yeah. I mean, you'd be vacuuming, you'd be dusting, you'd be getting off the top of the, uh, the fan blades, you'd be digging all that junk out from under your bed. I mean, your house would probably be the holiest place on planet Earth if Jesus was coming over. You'd burn your television, you'd be out there getting rid of all kind of stuff, you'd have the family Bible dusted off there, you'd unstick all the pages where he wouldn't know that you hadn't been reading it. You'd put it right there down the table, and when you walked in the door, you'd be singing, holy, holy, holy. All right, children, that's good. We're, we're good singing hymns for today. Oh, you get your house already. And there's Mary and Martha. Martha's getting all the work done. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. But listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, but Martha was cumbered about with much serving. Now, here's what I want you to see. The circumstances were the same for Mary and Martha. The circumstances were the exact same. Except one of them used them for an excuse, and the other one used them as an incentive. You see it? Martha decided, you know what? Jesus is coming. I've got too much to do. That was busyness. But Mary, the Bible says, you go on and read in Luke chapter number 10, the Bible says, but one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen that good part. Mary didn't get distracted with the busyness. Mary made sure that she did the business of sitting at the feet of Christ. How often does my busyness distract me from my business of sitting at the feet of Christ? I mean, there are times I get so busy this, going here, making phone calls, returning phone calls, putting out fires. Man, so busy, 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 I neglect the business of spending time at the feet of Jesus. You know what happens? You lose your influence. You see, influence rubs off on you. It's, it's kind of like, you know, poison ivy. The more you spend around and the closer you get to it, it rubs off on you. You know, and then you get something, you spread it to somebody else. What is that? That's influence. But the reason, watch this, we don't have much light shining out of us. We're not spending much time with the light. Why? Because we're busy. 
the distraction of our focus. You know, last year was a long year for all of us. I think about them in, in chapter 21. You know, they had a long night season, didn't they? What did the Bible say? Verse 3, they had fished all night, caught nothing. Had a rough, rough night season, didn't they? And didn't we have a rough night season last year? Rough night season. Surely, with a rough night season, God is not requiring us to be about our mission still. Surely not. Oh, no. In spite of the rough night seasons we go through, our mission remains the same. And you know there were many times throughout last year we got so busy trying to, to handle and to manage this pandemic that we neglected the business of why we were left here. The busyness of all we were responding to in the night season we were going through distracted us from the business of what God called us to. And I want to give you an example. I'm going to tell them myself. A few weeks ago, we went to Cracker Barrel. My wife, we got out of, got out of the office early, about 4, 4.30. She's gone. I don't know where she's at. She's always moving around. Keep it, there she is over there. She keeps me on my toes. You see, I have to know where she's at or, to know whether I can tell certain stories or not. <laughs> Scares me. You're looking around, and then all of a sudden you see her, and you're like, wow, thank you, Lord, I didn't tell that story. She doesn't like being bragged on, and that's all it is. I'm going to brag on my wife, and she, she's so modest. But uh, we went to Cracker Barrel, got out of the office about 4 o'clock, and she says, we don't usually get to go home this early. Why don't we go eat and go home? Uh, look, you know you're getting old when you look forward to eating at 4.30, 5 o'clock. We got to Cracker Barrel about 4.30, 5 o'clock, and we ate, and we're sitting there, and a gentleman walks in the door and sits over in the corner. I nod, as I usually try to do. We're the hospitality state, so I think you ought to nod at folks. The longer I sat there, the more the Lord began to burden my heart for that man. Go talk to him. And I'm thinking, come on. Look, number one, I get to go home early today. Number two, what kind of a weirdo goes and talks to strangers at their table while they're eating? And so I just said, look, I, I'm going to pray for him when I get home. <laughs> Makes you feel better, doesn't it? I'm going to pray for them when I get home. And so we got up. Went and paid for my food, the Holy Spirit, the whole time, hammering down. Go talk to him. Go talk to him. I'm going to pray for him twice. That's what I'm going to do. Got in the car, talking to my wife, and put it in reverse, started driving. Put it in drive, went around the building. Holy Spirit, go talk to him. I'm going to pray for him three times tonight. He just wouldn't let up. Just wouldn't let up. I said, Lord, I got so much to do. We were in the midst of funerals in our church planning our, our Kids Central remodel, had stewardship banquet coming. I said, Lord, I have too much to do tonight. I'm too busy to stop right now. Look, God, send somebody else. Surely there's another good Christian person that will go witness to this guy. I'm too busy right now. And the Lord says, no, I want you. Finally, I made a U-turn, went back and parked in the parking lot. I'm saying, how am I going to do this now? Walk back up in the restaurant, and so long story short, I walk over to his table. And I said, how are you doing? My name is Jeremiah Andrews, pastor of Central Baptist Church. I just wanted to stop by and invite you to our church. What do you come up with with a man sitting there eating hamburger steak? He said, well, thank you for stopping. Thank you for the invite. He said, I've been having a tough time lately in my home and having some family trouble. And I appreciate you taking the time to invite me. And then he said something to me that I believe I needed to hear. And that's why I went to him. I wrote it down. He said this, people know they're important when you make time for them. That's the last thing he said to me. People know they're important when you make time for them. Do you know what? I don't know that he needed to hear from me as much as I needed to hear from him. 
Because so often we get busy, 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 but the things that are important are the things we make time for. The things we stop and take care of the will of God, and oftentimes we're not fulfilling the will of God in our life. Why? Because we've gotten distracted from our focus doing other things. Luke chapter 2, we read this about Christ as a young man. His family had brought him there for the Passover. And there's about 2 million people in Jerusalem at this time, and his parents can't find him. Imagine how you would feel if one of your children would, look, I panic when my daughter runs off in Dollar General. I can't imagine what it would be like in 2 million people. And finally, they found him there in the temple teaching. But what did he say to them? How is it that you sought me? Luke 2, 49. Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business. He said, I know there's a lot of busyness going on around in the Passover and people and coming and going from all of these different places. But watch this. Here's the child Christ setting a beautiful example for all of us. That no matter how busy things may get in life, we can't get distracted in our focus. And our focus is our father's business. Folks, listen, we're not here for our business. I don't know if you know that. The Bible says, no, you're not. You're not your own. I'm not my own. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God. I am here to be about his business. That's why we're here. Or else he would have just beamed us up, Scotty, to heaven when we died, when we got saved. Sometimes I think that would have been nice, wouldn't it? Take us on up there. But no, he left us here on purpose. It's not by accident. Jesus is not coming back in the rapture to get the people he forgot about. He's coming back in the rapture to get the people that he left to be influenced. And when the trumpet of God sounds, the influence is over. So right now, we've got to let the influence outside the basket. But the only way you're going to do that is you get over this fact of being distracted from your focus. I thought about Joseph this morning. I thought about Noah. I thought about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know why they were successful Christians? They were successful because they learned to serve in spite of their circumstances. Joseph's circumstances weren't good, and yet he served God. He didn't get distracted. Look, the little maid in Naaman's house, remember her? She had every reason to hold back and be bitter. She was kidnapped and being forced in servitude, and yet she pointed her boss to the man of God so that he could get what he was needing. You know what she did? She was an influence. Why? She didn't forget about her mission. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4, 14, that we henceforth be no more children. You know what Paul is saying in our terminology today? Grow up. Grow up. You know, how often do we tell our children that? You need to grow up. Look, you're 17 years old. Get rid of the flea pajamas. All right? At least when you go to Walmart. You know? Brush your hair every once in a while. You know? Look, you're 45 years old. Move out of the basement. You know? Move on with your life. Kind of get on. But hey, grow up. And I wonder how often our father wishes he could shout down from heaven and say, grow up. Now watch this. He says that you henceforth be no more children, and he elaborates on what a child is. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Know what he's saying? Quit being influenced by everything. You get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You ever see sagebrush out there, you know, in the fields? Those tall weeds that grow out in the fields of Mississippi, and the wind blows, they go this way. The wind blows, they go that way. What are they doing? They're being influenced. He says, hey, when you grow up, the circumstances don't influence you. You influence them. And sadly today, the Christian home, the Christian church, and even our once Christian nation is nothing more than a reflection of the fact that we're the ones being influenced. We're not the ones influencing. Why? Because number one, the distraction of his focus. Verse 4. 
He knew not that it was Jesus. The very reason he was there, he was neglecting it. Why? Because he got busy doing other things. I read a wonderful story just this week. And Brother Brown, if I get this wrong, you can correct me after the service because it involves India. 1631, the favorite wife of Shah Jahan, who was the fifth emperor of India, died. It was his favorite wife. All right? Leslie's my favorite wife. I told you Wednesday night. I don't know how the Mormons do it, but... His favorite wife died, and he was grieving so bad, he decided to make a great grand monument to put over her grave. And so he started building what we know as the Taj Mahal to house the wooden casket box of his favorite wife that had died. Muslim religion will not allow you to decorate the coffin. It has to be plain, simple, and wooden. But you are allowed to decorate Uh, the building that it goes in. And so he decided, you know what? The way I'm going to get over my grief is I'm going to build this massive structure to honor my favorite wife. I don't know what he built for his other wives, but at least this one got a nice spot. He started building it, bringing in the best craftsmen craftsmen and masons in uh, in the area that he could get, started building this beautiful Taj Mahal. And the more he built, the more he wanted to build. His wife's casket sat there in the middle of the Taj Mahal, this wooden box, but oftentimes it got in the way, and they would have to move it out of the way in order to complete the construction of that area. Throughout the years and different crews coming in and out, in and out and out, her casket continually got moved back and forth, this plain wooden box that just sat over in the corner, got beat up, got scratched up, and after a while, there were crews on site that did not even know what that box was and threw it out it out. 20 years in the making, he got so focused on building the memorial that he forgot about the meaning. And he had thrown the box out. Now, folks, how often are we that way? What we're left here to do, we have a meaning, we have a purpose, we have a mission, and we get so distracted building bigger and better and greater that we forget the very reason that we're here. Number one, if we're going to be reminded, reminded about our mission, We're going to have to work on this distraction of our focus, but let's keep reading quickly. You know me, point one is always the longest, and it gets quicker from there, so you always have something to look forward to. You're welcome. (laughs) Verse five. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. Still don't know who it is. So distracted by what they're doing. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. I love how emphatic he is. He knows where to find the good stuff. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Verse 7 is our next point going to come from. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Watch this. In the midst of all the commotion, John sees past the circumstances, and John sees the Savior. He says, hey, in the midst of all of this, you know what? That guy looks familiar. That guy sounds familiar. It is the Lord. And then what did he do? He did what any good friend would do. He pointed it out to them. What did you do when you found Christ? You pointed it out to somebody else. What did he say? He said, it is the Lord. Now, notice the second step in being reminded of our mission. Notice where it came from. Number two, notice the direction of his friend. The direction of his friend. You know the best way to get your mind back on your mission? is to get your eyes back on Christ. Think about it. 
Peter was so distracted with what he was doing. He got busy. He got occupied on this fishing trip. And folks, look, when you're bringing in all those fish, I mean, that's easy to get distracted, isn't it? You, look, some of you guys would forget about your anniversary if you were catching fish, you know. I'll just bring her a whopper home, and maybe she'll be excited about that. I mean, it's easy to get distracted. And in the midst of all this distraction, they had forgotten about their mission. And then finally, his friend directs him to Christ. I believe that's the answer for us today. The best way to get our mind back on our mission is to get our eyes back on Christ. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to look at this. And I say few, that's a relative word. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. He wasn't without clothes, but the word naked in the Bible means insufficient clothing. In the Bible, if the thigh was uncovered, it was nakedness. So he's not sitting there fishing naked. The Bible says, did cast himself, he flung himself into the ocean. All of a sudden, he's busy there working, bringing in all of these fish. He lays his eyes on Christ. Suddenly, everything changes, and he does a Peter Pan right off the boat out into the ocean. What happened? All of a sudden, his perspective changed. He was busy. He was cumbered about with what he was doing to occupy himself. But as soon as his perspective changed, his priority changed. All of a sudden, he forgot about the fish and threw himself out of the boat. Can I tell you this morning, I believe the reason our priorities are out of whack in the Christian home, in the Christian church today, it's because our perspective is off. Do you know, I can tell you what your perspective is by finding out what your priorities are. You can do the same thing for me. Walk in my office. There's dead animals everywhere. Somebody came here today and they looked around and they said, there are dead things everywhere. There's cameras in every one of their eyeballs watching. So if you try to kill me, it's on tape. Just throwing that out there. You walk in my office, you see dead animals, you see LSU stuff. Don't hold it against me, Brother Sullivan. He's a Rocky Top guy from Tennessee. Don't hold it against you either. You can tell what my priorities are. It's reflected in the lifestyle of my office. Now, folks, watch. Whether we agree with it or not, the truth of the matter is you can tell what your perspective is by your priorities. All of a sudden, Peter, watch this, instead of looking at the nets with all the fish in it, Peter locks eyes on Christ and throws himself out of the boat. Do you know what the best thing to remind us of what our mission is? The best thing I could prescribe for our church today to remind us of what our mission is, it's just get our eyes back on Christ. You know, for years, preachers tried to guilt people into obedience, tried to drive people into obedience. You know, you don't drive the sheep, you lead the sheep. How do you lead the sheep to obedience? Just get their eyes on Christ. I remember as a new pastor, I had some people in our church, they were messed up. And it's all right, folks. It happens to all of us sometimes. Folks in my church, I'm like, how am I going to fix them? You know, I didn't learn that in Bible college. I mean, this guy over here, I mean, I think he wants to kill me half the service because he doesn't smile while I'm preaching. I mean, Lord, how am I going to fix him? You know, the to-do list is going to be that long. I'm going to have to give him one of those dollar general receipts of a to-do list to remind him of all the things he needs to do and not do. I said, Lord, how am I going to do that? He said, just point him to me. Yes. Just point him to me. And when he gets his eyes on me, his perspective, watch this. When his perspective changes, his priorities change. And watch this. I just taught people to get their eyes on Christ, and it was amazing the change that it brought about in their own life. Yes. Do you remember when Peter denied Christ? Remember, he was in, in a crowd 
It wasn't popular to be a follower of Christ. He said, weren't you with him? And he's like, no, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. He finally cussed at the ladies. No, I wasn't with them. You see, his circumstances were dictating the terms. And then watch this. The Bible says when he denied him that third time, the cock crew. If you read in Luke, the Bible says the Lord saw him. Contact. What happened? Instant conviction. He wept bitterly. Look, I won't tell you what you, all that you have to do and need to do. I can't follow you around all the time. I have, look, I had new converts just call me all the time. Is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Hey, I saw so-and-so doing this. Is it okay? And I appreciate their, their willingness and their obedience. But I'll tell you, you'll find out who you need to be. You just lock eyes on Christ. Instant conviction. Isaiah, remember what he said in chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, also, I saw also the Lord, stop, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Then said I, woe is me. I don't even know if it was during invitation time. He just says, woe is me. What happened? Locked eyes. His perspective changed his priority. You didn't have to beat conviction into him. Why? He said, woe is me. You know, it's amazing. Oftentimes, we think preachers say, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. It's going to be hard to get a convert that way. But when you point them to Christ, they'll say, woe is me. What did he say? Watch, for I am undone. You didn't have to tell him what it was. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king. He said, look who I am and look at the world I'm living in. Instant perspective, instant priority. Number two, if we're going to be reminded of our mission, we're going to have to have some direction of our friends. That's our job, by the way, to give perspective. Several years ago, we were off the coast of Pensacola scuba diving. It was one the, the day I had my accident. And my brother, on the way out, you're riding these two, three-foot swells. My brother was looking pale. He went from pale to green. He's just, he's just sick. But we paid a lot of money to go on that dive. So he decided, you know what, I'm going down anyway. So he geared up, went down, was down just a few minutes, decided, you know what, he was about to be sick. And so he came back up. Comes back up, he gets on the boat, and to put it kindly, leans over the side and feeds the fishes there. For those of you that didn't get that, ask somebody who's laughing, and they'll be able to help you figure that out on the way home. The bad thing was this, Jason, my wife's looking at me right now, shaking her head no. Sometimes I don't like knowing where she's at because she tells me I shouldn't say things. My buddy Jason was coming up right behind him. Anyway, see, I had to do that to make you less hungry so that you're not itching to leave here, all right? That was all part of the plan, psychology. I hear that works. So my brother's sitting there on the boat, just bobbing up and down, turning pale, turning green. It was bad. It was bad. And the captain of the boat says, look, he says, you're, you're not going to get any better if you don't fix your eyes on the horizon back to the, the shores of Pensacola, which is about 14 miles, I think, at the time. It was just a speck on the horizon. He said, you've got to fix your eyes on something solid, something steady, something permanent. And that will give you perspective. It will help that feeling go away. You see, when he did that, that fixed point, it changed his circumstances. But up until that point, his circumstances were making him sick. Now, can I tell you today why so many families are sick? Why so many Christians are sick? So many churches are sick? We're sick because we have our eyes on the circumstances. 
He says, hey, change your perspective and all of a sudden you will influence your circumstances rather than your circumstances influence you. Why did Peter begin to sink? Perspective. He had his eyes on Christ. He's walking on water to go to Jesus. He was fulfilling his mission. His mission was to go to Christ, and he was doing it well until he got his perspective off, and he began to sink. So, folks, number two this morning, notice the direction. The direction was to get his eyes back on Christ. I want to say this before I give you the last point. I am so thankful for the Johns that God has sent in my life. For the people that helped me get my perspective right when I got distracted from my focus. Have you ever got distracted from your focus? I have two cards sitting on my desk right now that I got just this week. One from somebody that goes to church here and one that, from somebody that doesn't go to church here. And they were cards of encouragement. And basically the card simply said this. I know it's been a rough few weeks, rough few months, rough couple of years <laughs> for you here at Central. I said, it sure has. I'm like, yeah, it sure has. He said, but just keep your eyes on Christ, and we're going to ride this thing out, and we're going to get where God wants to take Central Baptist Church. Do you know what they were doing? I was getting direction from friends. Oh, thank God for the Johns. Listen to me, teenager. If you've got a mom and dad that's a John that helps you keep your perspective on Christ, you ought to give them a hug, give them a kiss. If you've got some money in that piggy bank, go buy them a steak. Why? Because were it not for the Johns in our life that give us direction to change our perspective, our priorities would not be where they need to be. Thank God for the Johns in our life. Number two, the direction of his friend was to turn back to Christ. He pointed him to Christ. And then finally, the Bible says in verse number seven, he cast himself into the sea. I want you to imagine this is a change of events of what just happened. He was distracted, he got some good direction. And he cast himself into the sea. Now, here's what you need to realize before we leave here today. Anytime you're given direction, directions always come with a decision. Okay? Siri, I'm going, I hear you can change Siri to a man. I'm thinking about changing Siri to a man because it goes against the grain for this lady to tell me what to do all the time. <laughs> I was out visiting yesterday, driving down the highway, turn left. Well, I missed my turn. Make a U-turn. I'm like, shut up. Good grief. She talks to me more than my wife does. Constantly, constantly, constantly. Every time she gave me direction, turn right, turn left, turn right. I had to make a decision of what I was going to do with that direction. All right? Now, John gives Peter direction. Hey, there's the mission. This is why we're here. We've got distracted doing all this fishing. There's the mission. That's why we're here in Galilee. And Peter made the decision to cast himself and to see what to do to pursue Christ. And this is number three. I want you to notice the decision he made to follow. The decision he made to follow. You know, getting reminded of our mission is simply the reminder that we're here to seek Christ. That's what our missions are all about. We are here to seek and to fulfill the will of Christ for which he left us here to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing. But pursuing fish and pursuing Christ, we have to weigh that out in our daily lives. You know, it's not always fish, is it? Sometimes it's money and more of it. Sometimes it's toys and bigger toys. Sometimes it's desires and hobbies. Look, folks, ministry and fulfilling the will of God is going to cost us all something. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for a servant who wasn't willing to give up something to fulfill what God's called him to do. David says, I'm not going to offer unto God that which just costs me nothing. David says, it costs me to serve. You're going to have to sooner or later decide you're going to give up some fish. But wait a minute, that's a net full of fish. Yeah, but that was Jesus. You can find fish in just about any lake 
in any ocean you want to. But there was only one Jesus. Peter says, you know what? The decision is simple, and he cast himself into the sea. I think this is what Paul means, Philippians 3, 7. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You study Paul, you'll find out he had a net full of fish. He had a lot to leave behind. He says, but I counted all but loss. Why? For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Watch this. The Apostle Paul's entire life, he had all these opportunities and he compared them to Christ and nothing ever measured up. Nothing he was ever offered to go back on what God called him to do ever could measure up with Christ and he made the decision to follow. Sadly, in our world today, it is very easy to get caught up in the pursuits of life. What do we call it? The rat race? Got to keep up with the Joneses? You know? You better make sure the Joneses know where they're going. You know? Or be following one of those people who they don't know where they're going either. And they're just trying to get away from you because you've been following them too close to begin with. You're going to end up at the police station. That's what's going to happen. Okay? I'm just throwing that out there. You're going to the police station. Here's the sad thing is, sometimes the Joneses go a different direction than Jesus. Sometimes the status quo, sometimes the peer pressure of the world comes to a fork in the road and you have to decide, do I stick with the fishes or do I pursue Christ? And whether or not you fulfill your mission will come down to the decision that you make to follow, I'm going to pursue Christ. Peter, I just love it. Look, I hope I never grow out of having an imagination. I'm 41 years old and I can see it just as clear as a bell. Peter, I'm talking about, as soon as he realized who it was, swan dive off the point of the boat. Where's Peter? He's gone, man. I mean, probably set an Olympic record swimming to the shore. Why? It was Jesus, the fish, and all of that was nothing compared to Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see before we close. This is actually where the burden of the message all began. We've been leading up to this one thing, and I'm going to be done. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we jump out of the boat and leave behind all of that to pursue Christ? How? I want you to turn with me back to Matthew. I promise I'm going to let you go. But after that joke about feeding the fish, surely you're not hungry yet. Surely not. I could give you some description if I need to help you, but I, I won't. Matthew chapter number four. I want you to see something that I don't know that I've ever preached on before. And I want you to look down to verse 18. How? How do we do this? And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. Interesting. Same sea. I want you to notice the setting of this great lesson Christ was teaching them. He took them back to the beginning. He took them back to the beginning. The lesson he's about to, he's commissioned them to do the reminder of their mission, notice it's the same shores in Matthew 4, 18. Do you know the way that we get reminded of our mission to where we leave behind everything again to follow Christ? We go back to the beginning. You remember when you first got saved? You remember when he first knocked on your heart's door and you left everything to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior to follow him? And you wanted everybody to have what you had. Do you remember that? You're telling the garbage men about Jesus. The lady at Dollar General cringed every time she saw you coming. 
because you're about to invite her to church and tell her about Christ again. Man, that first love of Revelation chapter 2, that first love, you wanted everybody to know it? The other day I was introducing Miss Bella uh, to uh, Brother Beach. And I said, Brother Beach, this is Bella. And before I could get it out of my mouth, Bella goes, I'm Bella and I got saved. She wasn't ashamed of it. Man, I hope she keeps that. I hope she keeps that. I hope she doesn't ever go back and hop in the boat and the fish. I hope she keeps that. But if you have hopped back in the boat and got distracted by life, all you got to do is go back to that beginning to remember your mission. Go back to that time he called you. But then watch this. I love this part, and I promise I am done. Verse 19, what did he say to him in Matthew 4? He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straight, they straightway left their nets and followed him. I want you to notice the surrender. It all began with them leaving their nets and their boats behind. And now here we are in John 21. What did it say? The Bible says Peter jumps out of the boat. The Bible says when they came to shore in verse 8, they were dragging the net with fishes. Do you know how you get reminded of our mission? Number one, go back to the beginning. That's what Christ was doing. He took them back to the beginning. Number two, you might have to let go of some nets again. You might have to let go of some nets again. We surrender all and we leave all and we turn our back on all to follow Christ. He did that in Matthew 4 and now he's back with a net in his hand again. And in order for him to pursue Christ, he's going to have to let go of some nets. And I wonder this morning, is this what we need at Central Baptist Church? In order to be reminded of our mission, number one, we need to go back to that place where he first called us. Go back to that place where he knocked on our heart's door, where we knew that it was him drawing us to him, and we forsook all to follow Christ. Go back to that. But maybe this morning, number two, you're going to have to let go of those nets you've picked up again. We let them down once, and you know what Peter's doing? Peter's surrendering all over again. Folks, we all have a tendency this morning to get distracted from our focus. Circumstances have been so distracting last year, but it's now time to be reminded of why we are here, to be reminded of our mission. And what is our mission? Preparing to meet Christ. What did he say? I go before you in Galilee. Peter should have been preparing to meet Christ. And guess what? That's exactly the mission for which we are called. Let's be prepared personally, and let's be prepared by winning others to Christ that when he does come, we're not ashamed. Why? Because we've been mindful of our mission. Now, just like Peter, Christ appeared out of nowhere. Peter's there on the boat. He's working. He doesn't even realize Christ is there. And then all of a sudden, he appears. Can I ask you this question? Christian, if he were to appear today, are you ready to meet him? Have you been mindful of your mission? Or have you gotten distracted? You know what? He hadn't come. Where's he at? You know, everybody's been saying for 100 years, Jesus is coming soon. He's not coming. I go fishing. I'm going to go occupy myself. Again. And you've gotten so busy getting preoccupied with this life, you forgot. And then lo and behold, you're going to look up one day. And there's Jesus. You read the book of Revelation. It's, it seems like it's close. It's close. I think they're probably already doing dress rehearsals. Getting ready to come down. You know, some of those angels trying to get them in line. Look, I know some of the people that are up there getting them to, to walk in a straight line. That's going to take them some work, getting them all ready. They're probably getting warmed up right now. And before you know it, 
there's Jesus. And you're going to hope and pray you were mindful of your mission to be that influence that he called us to be. Now, I want to ask you this morning, if you've not trusted Christ, you're not ready to meet him. You don't want to look over and see him because it's going to be too late to do anything about it. But he ain't here yet. There's still time. There's still opportunity to trust Christ, but I wouldn't leave here today lost. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet.